0: This week's Cloudcast is brought to you by Momentum SI. Whether you want to migrate applications to the cloud, transform to enable DevOps, gain insight from big data, or accelerate your agile development, Momentum SI's strategy, consulting, and hands on expertise can help you get there faster and with greater success. Check them out at MomentumSI.com. And now, onto the show. Cloudcast Media presents.
1: From the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Dell and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of The Cloudcast coming to you live from beautiful, uh, not too cold, not too snowy, no snow actually, Raleigh, North Carolina. And today, uh, just me. Uh, Aaron's uh, apparently, I'm working on some big, special, secret project uh, for work stuff. So, uh, just me, and we're bringing back a, a very kind of old friend of the show, maybe our our oldest and most frequent guest of the show. So, Nick Weaver, welcome back to the show, man. It's been a little while, while.
0: Yeah, it has been a while. Thanks for having me.
1: And uh, so, you know, we'll have to go back and look. I, th- I think you're still uh, most popular guest, most frequently on the show. Um, so, you first off, uh, last time you were on. Um, you were working for VMware in some capacity. I think you were working on all the VCloud stuff and maybe zombie early zombie stuff. You've since moved out to Portland. So, first off like for those of us that don't live on the West Coast or don't live in the Bay Area, don't live in Portland or Seattle, how is the West Coast and Portland? What's the scene out there?
0: Um it's it's kind of I'll be honest, it's kind of awesome. Um yeah. the, the the biggest deal is it, the the scenery is just insane. It, I mean, Texas is awesome and I'm like a seventh generation Texan so don't get me wrong, I love Texas but uh, you get out here and it's, you know, you're in the city, Portland's got all these great things, coffee and great beer and good food but you drive 15 minutes out and you're like on some cliff top like looking over like the Columbia River Gorge or you're out in the ocean and it's like, It's just amazing. It's just there's so many like beautiful things out here. It feels kind of like the west coast, the northwest at least, is a bit unspoiled. Like it's not quite as crowded. And the weather's, you know, it does, it has been kind of rainy and stuff. But to be honest, man, since I've been out here, it's been really sunny too. Yeah. And and so I I think I've kind of moved at the perfect time. And I I like it. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a great place for bearded nerds to live. So I kind of feel at home.
1: Yeah. How is it from a work perspective? I mean, you're. You know, uh, we were just talking. You're, you know, you're a 20 minute flight to, to Seattle. Portland's got a lot of tech stuff going on. You know, the, you're you're an hour from the Bay Area. Like, how how does that change your working life when you're that close to meetups and companies and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to being, you know, a long plane flight away?
0: Yeah, no, it's ridiculously better. And um, it's, I'm not a person that'll ever probably. Well, I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. Um, but I'm a person that isn't uh, predisposed to live in like San Francisco or like the Bay Area. Just because I'm a bit more rural than other people, but um, being able to get down there for a meeting or be able to hang out with people and just being really mobile and it not being so much of an overhead, it's not and it not being like three hours out and three hours back where it just interrupts so much of your life. And then the other, the flip side of that is honestly, Portland has a ridiculous amount of smart people. I mean, there's guys I know who I consider some of the smartest I've met who live here in you know, multiple capacities, with guys like Gene Kim. Guys like Nan Liu, Dan Bodie, Kelsey Hightower. I mean, Luke Knees lives here. You got like the New Relic people. I mean, Portland has a ridiculous amount of great like um, software people. And then on top of that, Intel's got, and you know, I didn't discover this and I'm getting ahead of myself, so I joined Intel. But Intel's got like a ridiculous amount of principals and fellows that have invented the stuff we take for granted who just out here, you know, hiking around and then working on cool things. And you get to meet them and it's just insane.
1: Very cool. So, yeah, so uh, we're not going to, you know, I don't think you're going to convince Aaron and I to move out there, but I know there's folks who are, you know, considering like, you know, where do I go? Am I close enough to technology? I think Portland's kind of becoming maybe that, that cool new spot where it's like, it's not super, super expensive to live. It, you know, it's a little more low key if you don't love the city, you get the seasons if you want them. But like you said, there's a ton of cool technology there to the point where it's like, Maybe you don't have to feel like you're remote from the Bay Area. Like there's you know a lot of cool stuff going on in Portland, and um, it's a you know it's a totally a community kind of city. So I mean, if especially with everything being open source nowadays and community driven and stuff, it, it feels like it's kind of got that right vibe that maybe you know Silicon Valley. It, we're hearing more and more is becoming just about sort of mobile apps and twenty somethings and you know ridiculous valuations and stuff. So
0: yeah, I mean, I would definitely put because um, I've been to Seattle a couple times. Like Bellevue area is pretty awesome. And I kind of get that same vibe in Seattle too. Um, I've been up there and and I can see myself living there or living in Portland. I'm pretty much in Portland now and that's where I'm going to be. But um, I will give Seattle some credit. I've been up there and just running into some of the great Google people up there and getting to see um, – even like the VMware crew up there is like a really sharp crew. And uh, I would definitely put Portland and Seattle as definitely the two places. If you're looking to not be in the Bay Area but move somewhere that has a really good culture – Really great places to go get outdoors and do stuff, and um, and just a really you know interesting place to live. Uh, definitely Portland and Seattle are up there on the list.
1: Okay, very very cool. So before we get into some other stuff that I know we want to we want to dig into, I got to ask you a question because I know Aaron and I have been wondering about this. Have you gotten any? Uh, what's the right? What's the? Uh, have you gotten any nominations to be on the OpenStack board?
0: Um. Yeah, actually. I have a pending one right now, and I, I, I did not accept it yet because I kind of think oh, the existing nominations are so good, I don't want to muddy it. Um, I don't. I think it's – not that it's pointless because I don't know who nominated me. and wasn't one of you guys, no. so I'm trying to figure out who nominated me. Um, and it doesn't tell you unless you accept it, but I looked over the list of the current nominations, and there's just such a rock star group, um, guys like Jesse and you know, Tim and all the other ones. I was like, why in the world would I accept this, so –
1: yeah, that's what we're trying to figure out, because I'm not the biggest fan in the world of OpenStack. Like, I've uh, had my uh, frustrations with it. I got, like, three nominations. Aaron got two. I assume it's just sort of a joke. So for you folks that are nominating us, I hope you're taking it as a joke, because like, like Nick said, there's like there's a ton of really smart people that should be doing this stuff, that deserve your votes, that um, you shouldn't be wasting your time on sort of fake ones. So neither Aaron nor I are gonna are going to accept any of those. I don't think we're the right people to do it. But I was curious if, you know, folks like yourself who are sort of deeply involved are, are interested in that kind of work. Um, yeah. And
0: even like in Intel, they're, they're, they're my, one of my peers on my team, this guy named Dos, he's actually nominated and he's up there and um, he's awesome. Like I, I'm, I'm, I would vote for him all day long. And so I, I actually thought it was, it was my own team. I was like, guys, why did you nominate me? You kind of teasing me because Doss is up. He's way better than me. Right. Yeah. Um, and I still don't know who nominated me.
1: Yeah, so it's 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 going to be interesting because I think I mean there's a lot of people that have moved around. I mean like Josh McGinty's not directly involved with it anymore. He's over at Pivotal. You've got Randy Bias who's now at EMC, and you know does he still stay directly involved now that he's not cloud scaling? You've got wait
0: wait Ra- Randy's not in a cube next to you now.
1: Re- no 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 he's uh, I mean he has his own building. You know we gave him his own building <laughs> uh, on top of a mountain and. <laughs> uh... But you know, you've got—I mean, you've got—you've uh, got Nebula. Chris Kemp's company is no longer on the board, and you know, really haven't heard much from those guys lately. And so there's—you know—you've got uh, some of the, the guys who are Cisco OpenStack folks going to HP and VMware. You know, Kyle and Mark, and so it feels like there's a big kind of shift and consolidation going on in OpenStack. But uh, I'm going to sort of leave that. We've decided we're not talking a whole lot about OpenStack anymore. So, but it'll be interesting to see. How that shifts here over the next yeah my, my six big months. question
0: my big my big thought on that from a personal level so taking you know I don't speak for Intel on this is it's interesting because Intel has a platinum spot now and there's a lot of the bigger companies that actually were pretty influential in some of the Linux stuff in the past yep and my question is is the shift gonna are we gonna see kind of we're we gonna see more of the formal things that happened kind of with the Linux evolution like eight nine ten years ago the distros really got thick and things got a little more stable or, or will we not right? I think time will yeah. tell well, it's definitely it, it, different.
1: Yeah. And, and some of that stuff, I mean, some of that stuff's not cheap. I mean, the, the, the developers that you need to work on some of that very, you know, kernel level, heavy stuff are senior folks, very expensive, and they need, they need time to work on stuff. That stuff's not going to get done in three months, six months. And, right. yeah. and, and that's why you're going to have, you know, an IBM an HP a Cisco, uh, uh, whoever you know big deep pocket companies step up to help fund that stuff because it's just a long-term project it doesn't necessarily fit a, a vc model so yeah no that's a good point you know intel Intel's a great sort of in there lots of money it, it benefits them so uh, let's get away from that um let's talk about a couple of things so uh i'm going to call you kind of an kind of an outsider in the sense of you know your, your day jobs with intel intel uh probably more than anybody these days is is sort of the Switzerland, I mean, they've always been sort of the Switzerland, but sort of the arms dealer. What's what's your take, your personal take on some of the stuff, you know, just in the last couple of months that have come out of the the big cloud announcements, AWS, Google, vCloud Air, Microsoft, or, or OpenStack? I mean, how do you, you know, from where you sit in the world these days, how do you look at that stuff? Are you sort of looking at it and going, it's just, it's competition, it's great, there's lots of new stuff coming along? Do you see certain trends that are kind of like you know, jump out at you more than others.
0: Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, I mean, I can't speak for Intel as a whole because Intel is huge. We do right. stuff from home automation to data center where I'm involved to open source tech to everything. So I, I could never speak for even one division of Intel, but from a personal level, I, I find it's interesting. Like I look at like Amazon, like Amazon comes out and, um, just like Google, they both jump on containers, come out with really interesting solutions in that space. But then, like the lambda stuff comes out, and I, it, that's like such an interesting. It, it, it's functional programming. It's reactive stuff. It's stuff that's been around for a while. But as a service, no one had ever thought of that yet. Yep. And I think its value is limited. I mean, for, I don't. I mean, I think it's cool. And I think I think if they keep extending, it can be really cool. Um, but what what I really got out of the out of the AWS reinvent stuff was, um, you know, like you know, like you go back like V world. And he attended like one of them, and he attended another one. And it was still like one of those things, like you kind of had to talk your boss into giving you a pass to go to it. Yep. And it was still those things, like, well, this this thing's new and weird. And then there's one year where it was everybody shows up, and all of a sudden it's mainstream. Yep. That's kind of what the feeling that reinvent got for me this year. And then also the, there's this, there's a mix, right, where it feels like some people are afraid. Like, they really don't know where things are going. And I don't think it's a fear that Amazon's going to take over the world and stuff. Like, I think it's just a, it's just this fear of, like, I don't know if I understand where things are at and where they're going. Because, you know, Amazon's doing some stuff at massive scale and they, they keep growing and growing and growing. But they're also being incredibly innovative with it. And of course, Amazon's a huge customer of Intel. And we had some announcements around, um, you know, new, um, uh, new VMs and new hardware they run those things on. And, but it's interesting because at the same time, Google's like doing, like, it feels like the world's kind of flipped on its head for me in the last this year. You know, Amazon is now running stuff that the enterprise world's starting to really pay attention to. And Google's doing stuff out in the open and open source, sharing like clustering technologies on containers, that's stuff that they've been doing internally on their own for years, and they're being open about it and like friendly about it and like trying to help everyone in a way, right? Yep. And like all these different things are shifting, and you got like more legacy companies that seem to have like a lack of direction, right? And they don't seem to know where they want to go next, right? Or and then some of them are like completely changing their message, and they're hiring people from some of these ones they were making fun of two years ago. It's just interesting. It feels like the world is. It kind of feels like everything's. Um, you know, like there's there's like the whole like you know one of these days the the magnetic pole the Earth is going to flip, right? They they say one of these days it's just going to flip and north is going to be south and south is going to be north. And it feels like right now we're kind of in that that mix in the um, IT world that if things are just going to rotate a different direction, and we're all we're all one big like herd heading one way, and, and finally there's enough heading a different direction. We're all going to turn and start following them, right?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I, I I would kind of agree with you. I think um, I think you highlight two things. One is th- there's so many things going on right now. It it is really hard, you know, if especially for folks like some of us that are you know, probably broader than we are deep in some cases. Um, yeah, it's, it's you know, where do I focus? Because it feels like everything's moving so fast. It feels like it's it's kind of blurry all over the place. And then the other thing is, I think, you know, we, we, we tend to have long memories when we want to and short memories most of the time. And, you know, this is, a lot of people have been saying, well, okay, this is, you know, the third wave or the fourth wave. And, you know, there was the mainframe wave and the PC wave, and now there's sort of cloud and so forth. But it, you know, until it sort of hits you in the face that you go, yeah, those things are like 15, 20 year eras. And we're sort of in, you know, really probably still in the first couple of years of this era. And you're like, it's going to be chaotic because it's, it is going to be shifting business models and shifting technology and how people, you know, use stuff. And so I think what you're going through is pretty normal. And I think that, you know, most of the side conversations I have with people are like, they're going, dude, what do you think is going to happen in the next three to five years? And where do I go? And what's, you know, what should I focus on? And it's a hard answer to give to anybody because, you know, um, you know, we we can talk about this sort of in the next topic. It's like two or three years ago, it was like, hey, you know, VMware is an awesome company and virtualization is doing really well. And then you have, you know, you have Docker, which spins out of sort of a failed company and dot cloud, and then it becomes sort of this huge community thing and then you know everyone's like oh docker's a big deal and then you have rocket come along and it's like wow in, in two to three years you had folks going holy crap big deal not a big deal big deal not a big deal and that's hard for people to wrap their head around
0: yeah and it, it, I think you hit it the whole thing is everybody wants to everybody wants two things they want stability where they are they want to feel like yep. they stand on firm ground and they want a path they want to look forward that there's something there's some direction to go right and I think right now both of those things are a bit scary. And I, I think falsely, in some ways, like I think if you're a person that's working heavily in VMware and doing virtualization and doing private cloud, there's an and, or even OpenStack and all these other things, you're fine. Yep. And nothing's going to change on you overnight. You're not going to lose the value you give. In fact, it's probably going to be even more. It's it's guaranteed to be even more in demand every year. The difference is um, the buzz is so strong because we're so interconnected now. Yeah. So when, when mainframes went to virtualization, there was no Twitter. The way, I found out, the way I found out about virtualization is a Dell rep came in and mentioned it in front of me, and I was like, what the heck is that, right? That was the only way I could find out about it. Or I read it in some magazine. Remember those magazines that used to stack up on the yep. CIO's desk? Yep. Yep. Yeah, you don't see those anymore, right? We find things out from Twitter or the register or new stack or somewhere, right? So that, that's, that's changed for us. And so I think the hype factor in these things is just amplified a bit. And some of us that emerged in the last cycle – from learning by word of mouth and by like having to really extract things or have somebody present it to us, or finding out about so much of this stuff. But I think on the flip side, a lot of these new things get more credit than they deserve, also because running things in production is not the same thing um, for everyone,
1: right? Yep, yep, yep. So uh, that's uh, that's actually that's probably a whole another conversation we should have at some point about the the complexities of running stuff in production. Um, so I, I want to before we jump in. Too far in that deep end. So last couple of months, you know, like I said, you went over to Intel. Uh, you've been working on some stuff behind the scenes. We won't get into that, but like you gave a series of talks that I think started at Intel Developer Forum, and you were talking about containers and Docker and some of that stuff. Um, went really well. C- give us a sense of like what's your take on sort of the, you know the world of containers today. Um, you know, not necessarily you know, what got announced yesterday, but like where, where, where were you, to, what were you talking about? What was the big things you were focused on and what are you hearing from people around, you know, both containers, Docker, and then sort of this ecosystem that's forming around it for everything, networking and, and uh, you know, patching and CI and everything like that.
0: You, um, all right. Well, I think obviously the biggest, reason I brought it up and talked about it at Intel developer conference was there was just a lot of questions on it. People are, have some concept of it they hear some things and there, and there was a lot of um there was a lot of mistaken um comparisons and, and not to docker's fault docker's always very clear about what they say their product is and what it does um and uh in all their communication and they never um they never muddy these things but then other people take these things out of context and then create buzz like the container replaces the vm yep and and yes actually in a very specific instance of a very specific application, the container could. But VMs run anything. That's kind of what we've done over the last 10 years is make a VM can run almost any workload. And if any kind of type, you can put stuff that used to be in a mainframe in a VM. It's crazy what you can do with VMs nowadays. And uh, so that's not a fair statement because replacing one tiny part of the application stack is awesome if you have most of your pain there. So if you're having to build web services all the time and release them and push them and test them and do all these things. Containers are an amazing, lightweight wrapper for tenancy um, in non-hostile work environments to do that. And in Docker, um, I talk about about Docker, I said the magic of Docker for me is always going to be the Docker image. I said there's the Linux stuff that's been done with cgroups and and the creation and um, APIs around namespaces and the LXC stuff, all this stuff, the the majority of it started way back in 2007. It, it went into Linux, and Docker was not involved in creating any of that, right? Right. Linux and containers was not Docker. What Docker did was look at that and go, there's a better way to run workloads in that that matches to the what, what users and sysadmins actually need. And that's where the magic of what Docker did is they come, came up with the image, which like – you have these finite commands you're used to running. You have these ordered actions you were going to run because the way you do software releases and the way you build stuff is built around this. Will couple a Docker image and a Docker file that allows you to wrap up these things in an immutable format and then just push them around, where it's agnostic of not just um, of not just with a virtual server, it runs in a physical server, um, uh, like model and stuff, but but also agnostic of what you. Uh, what the application stack itself is. And really, honestly, that's the key thing here. People still want performance out of their hardware. They still want density of all these other things. What they don't want to do is overhead about, oh crap, I didn't have the right JVM on that server. Yep. Uh, and, and that's what Docker did is it, it, it really captured that. And then, um, and everybody got wound up about that. So it was replacing VMs. Everybody was freaking out. And then they realized that like some simple things, for, for example, Linux containers are really not secure. They're not. And, I don't know of anyone yet that runs um, hostile workloads next to each other. So like multi-tenant workloads that you may not trust um, in a way that's secure. Most of them put it inside a virtual machine. And then all of a sudden you've got this conflict. Wait, I thought containers replaced virtual machines. It's like, no, actually, with a lot of use cases, a VM is a great way to run containers inside. And then there's somewhere, no, you just run it on bare metal. And then if you think about it, it's like, well, you know, there's a lot of people still run uh, bare metal servers for applications and don't even use virtualization, but nobody gets worked up about that. And that, that's the funny thing is it's, it's, it's containers are just another tool. It's another way of, of containing things and wrapping things. It's the same way things like Puppet. It's the same way um, stuff like uh, package management and, and new languages don't affect virtualization, even if they make it easier to run it on bare metal, because it's just another tool in the tool belt. And up till now, there's a massive amount of things you will not run in a container. And Docker and these guys will tell you about here's the things you should focus on, and they'll tell you on the roadmap we'll work on these other things later.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was interesting. It's it's um I, I put a link to uh, I think Scott Lowe had done a, a really good blog sort of summarizing a lot of what you were talking about, and we'll put the link to to the to your notes and stuff. I. You know, it, it was interesting, we were, we were talking to Adrian Cocroft, uh, you know, everybody knows is you know, the guy who was at Netflix for a long time, he's a VC now, and and his take on Docker was kind of what yours was, which is like, you know, the underlying technology isn't the most interesting part, like a lot of that sort of existed today, in his case it was, um, you know, uh, you've, you've sort of, I'm going to get this wrong, but, you know, in essence sort of... Uh, negated the need to have these separate set of tools like chef and puppet in a lot of cases um, you you sort of inherently build this idea of portability through things like Docker files and you know kind of common um, standard uh, container things so that you can use multiple clouds or multiple environments and then his other big thing was you know there's such an untapped resource around the the docker hub kind of community model. Of how you distribute stuff, how you've got sort of consistent images, and how you build them and layer them and so forth he's like that's the part that's really very very interesting um and and that was him coming from sort of you know one foot in the the Netflix world and one foot in the sort of the v c world so um, yeah
0: and a couple of that there's there's this whole push so i'm convinced I mean my last project I did at VMware I used a lot of like microservice patterns um there in some of the architectural design. But it didn't come from, like, the container idea. It came from some stuff that I got exposed to back when I worked in the finance um, part of the world when they were doing SOA. And I saw a couple patterns there, and I thought, man, those are really cool. And now, like, I'm looking at some of the things I did and go, you know, that's kind of part of what a microservice pattern looks like. And the container model is making it easier and cheaper to run small sets of services inside containers and turn them up and down and move to more functional-style endpoints that, that have in-and-outs that are in less state. And all these kind of interesting things. And what, what I find fascinating is containers aren't really driving massive infrastructure changes yet, right? It's not really affecting things underneath the container because it's just the Linux OS. You have to start with a deployed Linux OS, which means you have to patch it, update it, secure it, give it a network, give it storage. Docker does nothing to fix any of that, right? It sits on top of that. But then above that, the things they're doing with immutability, the things they're doing with the image management are providing us new ways of looking at some old patterns that we did back in the SOA days. And SOA is still prevalent now, but like when we first, that first started emerging and it kind of pairs this idea of microservices and pairs this idea of, of um, distributed um, application stacks. And ways of scaling them, and ways of failing them over a lot of stuff Netflix was already doing in a lot of different patterns that we all looked at and said, "Man, we should try that also." And it's just interesting because this emerges at a time when um, the web app in itself and the services apps that are really becoming the major piece of what new applications look like um, really needed this kind of technology. And I think that's why it's so hot and so buzzworthy. If you listen to guys like CoreOS, their major focus that they're targeting is web apps. If you go to them and say, "Dude, I want to totally run," This gigantic transactional business application, they'll—I'm not speaking for CoreOS by any means. A massive respect for them, but they'll probably tell you it's probably not the best thing on our stuff right now. But maybe one day.
1: Right, right, and we, we're—we're going to get to that in a second. So I got to ask a question because I don't know the answer, and I—I'll I, ask because you're an Intel guy. You know, back in the day, you know, two thousand six, seven, whatever it was, when Intel introduced VT, right? Essentially, like chip level acceleration for virtualization, it was a big deal because it was like, okay, a lot of that vir- you know, hypervisor overhead sort of goes away. It's down at the chip level. Is there stuff going on or is there stuff today that that does a similar type of function for containers or for any of these sort of non-hypervisor technologies that, that are in the chip level today? Or is that stuff that, you know, maybe Intel's thinking out down the road?
0: Yeah, I mean, as of right now, there is nothing directly for Docker or Linux containers that does like that level of advanced yeah. – um, so VTX was built because Intel realized that people wanted virtualization and we wanted to provide the best value we could. Yep. Right. Um, that's the one thing I, when I got over to Intel that I learned really quick is they basically figure out, hey, where's the world going and what can we do to make it run really well? Yep. And yep. You, So Intel, Intel's whole strategy is you win by value. If you provide the best value, people will buy you. Great. And so they work very hard at doing that which is really kind of cool. I mean, I've worked for a lot of companies and I'm not saying all of them have questionable motives, but, um, you, you kind of know how you win at Intel. It's kind of fun to know that, Hey, we just got to be the best. We just got to work hard. And really, honestly, you really have to be, I mean, the reason I've been burying the container stuff is you really have to pay attention because it takes a long time sometimes to do something. Like you said, doing stuff at a super low level in assembly and in Silicon and in chips and even like just in the Linux kernel, it takes a while because they're really, really hard problems. Right. They've got Intel's got hundreds of these guys and girls that are PhDs that know how to fix this stuff, but you have to give them a really good direction to go do it. So back to the container optimization stuff. I mean, there, there's a reason we're looking at it really solidly is we're looking and, and we're paying attention. And if um, if this is something that Linux needs us to, or if we figure out a way to make it more secure or make it more powerful, I mean, we're going to do it. I mean, obviously, just like we do with VMware. I, when I do the example in my presentation, I talk about you know. When virtualization came along and everybody wanted it and there was obvious value for the customer, then Intel stepped up and partnered with the people to build um, VTX. And then when there was a demand for open source um, VTX enablement, we worked with like the Zen products and we worked with KVM and we worked with the open source technology. We donated a lot of code to help. Yeah, um, I would imagine the same patterns would happen um, if containers turn out to be something that our customers want.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, okay. It makes sense. I mean, I, and I'm totally asking from a – just hadn't heard anything, sort of uh, uh, you know, idiot level. So, um, so the flip side to Docker, obviously, and, and this is sort of timely. And uh, uh, somebody on somebody on Twitter challenged. I think it was uh, I think it was VJ Swami, who, who's now over at AWS, sort of challenged me and said, you know, uh, everyone's talking about Rocket, which is this thing from CoreOS. Uh, today on twitter but it's not real until the guys from the cloudcast talk about it so uh vj ah, ha, ha ha we're going to talk about rocket for a few minutes cuz i know <laughs> i know you've been you you sort of know a little bit about it uh we don't have to get into how much you know about it but what's you know you, you mentioned you know 5 minutes ago like docker inherently or containers inherently let me let me for containers inherently aren't the most secure thing because you're using sort of shared namespaces and and you know common linux stuff and so forth so What's the you know what's going on that the the CoreOS guys decided they needed to deal with Rocket? You know, from take all the politics out of it. Like, what's the technology <laughs> reason they'd even bother
0: looking at this, as opposed to maybe trying to fix Docker? So you know, I I, I got to be careful here because it's very easy to take on either Docker's side or I could can speak for Docker and um, put on my Docker hat and say, hey, you know, this is my perspective from Docker's perspective on about rocket and docker and where they play and then i could put on my carl west hat and think from core west's perspective because i can see both angles mm-hmm. the way from a personal level from like a nick weaver only nobody else in the world level i think this just points out that containers are here to stay yeah i think that's the most valuable thing we should all realize is core west coming out and saying um we care enough that we disagree and want to do something different Means two things number one, there's obviously some kind of vested interest for them to make that because nobody goes and does this stuff the benevolence of it right there's always some reason you go do something there's some return for yourself um, there's some benefit to them, and then number two, it shows that you know we're not it's not like only one person has an angle on this I mean if we, we didn't end up with one operating system right. Right? right we didn't end up with one storage array we didn't end up with one networking stack for a reason humans are inventive. And every problem has a different angle. And I am – i I'm not a big fan of some of the interactions I think between the two because I think – but again, I th- maybe – so you, you, Brian, you and I are, have come from older companies and we know what can happen if you respond poorly. We, you know, we're, we're very well trained on don't react right, and yep. always positive. And I think there's obviously been some hurt feelings with different people and stuff and nobody knows what the behind the scenes stuff about what's going on. But I just see two really, really smart companies that are both really leading, and they're, and they're almost now a little bit in competition. They're not like out-and-out out competition, I think. like Everybody wants to – like all the media will phrase it that way. They're not an out-and-out out competition, but it's kind of cool because they're kind of both like challenging each other. And I'm actually kind of excited because in a way, it, I think this will breed better technology for both of us. I don't think either one of them is going to win in any way. I think it's going to – we're going to end up with different perspectives and different ways to do stuff. And I think in the end, this is just going to push this faster to us having better containers and more secure containers. The Rocket stuff doesn't do a lot of stuff, and it's not even the roadmap that I can tell that Docker does around the Docker file and Docker images, which is interesting because there's a lot of people that that's their use case. That's what they care about most. But then there's people who are like – especially the people that really know Linux really well and are very comfortable with a Linux OS who look at Rocket and say, this is a much better fit to my workflow and how I want to wire things. I have better control of stuff. And there's some definite features that I'm sure Docker was going to come out with that that Rockets kind of leapfrogged them. But then Docker has a massive head start on runtime than they do. So it's been interesting how it plays out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the other takeaway that I had from it was I think it's really, really hard. So I think it's possible these days um, – and again, a lot of this is because – you know, so much of the world is flipped to being, you know, somewhat open source based, whether it's, you know, completely open source or partially open source. It's like, it's, you could build an open source set of tools. Um, You know, anybody could build a really cool tool and and, and put it out there and so forth. But when you start to intermingle that with like, oh yeah, by the way, we're trying to build a company around this. I think I think people realize really quick. And I think, you know, CoreOS is, is in this bucket. I think Docker's in this bucket. I think. Um Like the cool stuff that um they do over at Hashicorp, you know around vagrant and console and a bunch of those cool tools, like those kind of companies you know uber smart people, super smart people, and I think they start to realize it 's like yeah we're we 're trying to follow the Linux or Unix model of like build independent super valuable tools, but when you sort of intermingle hey you 're kind of trying to build a company and you 're trying to go to customers, and the customers go. Well, could you put a few of them together for me? It'd be nice if they kind of worked together better or if they acted like a system or more like a platform and all of a sudden it's like I'm going to cross over into something that you sort of do. It's going to be cluster management, it's going to be resource management, it's going to be config management, it's going to be something and you know, I think it's good for the market. I think it's great for the market. It's a little bit confusing, but you know, it's it's good that folks are looking at it from multiple ways and and the nice thing is you know the community kind of has an influence over some of this cuz they can contribute stuff and a lot of these things have open interfaces.
0: Yeah, and, and you're right. And, and there's also the thing that we like so this is super Nick Weaver just being honest. Yep. I mean, I can totally feel Docker's pain a little bit because these guys worked really really hard. Yeah. to do something really interesting and came out with it and they got a lot of buzz and credit for hey, dude, you actually you actually pioneered something. I mean, it's really hard to come out with something in the IT industry that everybody goes Dude, holy crap. Yeah. Nice job. Yep. yep. And they got a pat on the back and like, okay, hold hold your horses, we're gonna do some more stuff. And then somebody else comes out and goes, Hey, that was cool, but we kind of want to do it this way. And, and, and you can get I mean you can totally feel that you know that could you could get some hurt feelings on that. But in the end, no matter what we do innovative, no matter what we come out with, you're only as good as your last good deed, and you have to continually innovate and competition will always arise. Oh, and yeah. so I, I see this. I actually see the rocket thing as more validation for Docker that there's an obvious market for what they're going to be doing. Yeah. Like it, yeah. If, if, if there was only one player, that either they have an amazing in, uh, engineering advantage or there is no market.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, and I and I think, you know, I think the other thing is this this you know, kind of underscores what I think we're going to go through over the next 10, 15, 20 years is you're going to have technology sort of you know, spikes and, and so forth. They're going to come along every 18 months, right? It's like, you're going to build something, it's going to get kind of cool. And then somebody's going to go, I think I can build a better mousetrap. And because you can do stuff fairly cheap now, you can get VC funding and three or $4 million goes, you know, is the old 30 or $40 million. Like you're going to see more of this. And, yeah. you know, the thing I always tell people is like, you know, when everyone goes like, Hey, what skills should I kind of focus on? It's like, you know, I think more and more people that, that weren't Linux people should be figuring out, like, go back and, and break open all those books and go learn Linux because every bit of this is somehow interacting with that. And it's like, you know, keep learning how to learn because yeah, if yeah. you have this cycle where it's changing every couple of years, literally, you you better be good at kind of figuring out patterns and, and applying certain learning and old learning and,
0: and all that kind of stuff. So You know what's funny about this is a lot of people get will see this drama and they, they'll attribute – the drama to the people involved, but like guys like Solomon, I've been lucky enough to actually be around him a couple times to see him talk and see him interact with people. Guys like Solomon are such nice guys, and there are people at Core West that I know that are such nice people. And odds are, if these people are in the same room with some beers, they sit there and like they argue, but in such a polite, nice way. Yeah. So th- it looks like there's all this bad blood and people are mad and stuff. And there is because you're you know there's competition and maybe a little hurt feelings. But in the end, these people are all extremely they're all built from the cut from the same cloth in a way. They all want to see love. They all love open source. They're all trying to make a difference. They're all trying to do something innovative and try to make like they're, they're scratching to the, you know, the world. And, um, and so a lot of times when I see this back and forth, I, I get back up and go, you know, these people are the same and the drama's there, but the drama's just motivator to go prove yourself in a way.
1: Yeah. And to a certain extent, it's just the natural engineering type, a sort yes. of alpha male yeah. stuff that goes on. So, yeah. all right, man. So last question, we're going to wrap it up because we're, we're getting a little bit long in the tooth. Um, you know, you're a tinkerer by heart. Uh, what what kind of stuff are you working on, just technology wise? That's that's kind of cool to you these days. I know you're you know you're tinkering with Kubernetes and you're tinkering with a bunch of stuff. Like,
0: what's what's kind of cool or what's what's getting you interested these days? My, my favorite thing. So one of the things I'm just from a personal development level is you know I've messed with Linux and I've I've gone under the covers a bit here and there and, I, and I've got enough knowledge to either embarrass myself or look okay depending on the audience and. Um, so my big motivator now that I work at Intel who happens to have a whole building full of women and men who can, you know, ba- who basically every day fix things in Linux and maintain Linux. It's insane. Is I really I really want to up level my knowledge and so I'm really getting some books and some studying material and I'm diving down and I'm relearning C again and I'm really trying to figure out, you know, wh- what what's really going on under the hood's more and really trying to wrap my brain around. There's actually a guy, he's not on my team, he's on another team named David uh, Cohen, who always blows me away because he has this insane ability to understand how the things connect through the OS, and it gives him such a strategic advantage about different ways to integrate things, and it's amazing how he does that. And uh, it's really motivating to me because I never realized, like, I, I, I've always gone up and down the stack, but I never like really went to the guts of it. So that's my big thing is, you know, how does how does Linux really truly work under the covers, and and, and what was the history on it, and what could I do? And I think like my, my other obsession is GoLang. Yeah. I'm really completely enamored with Golang and I've I've given up inheritance and I've given up objects and all these things that I got used to. And and in doing that and operating at that low level, I started noticing some patterns and especially like like the Google guys, where they talk about Kubernetes, they talk about certain patterns around um the way they do things and reasons why Go exists. And it's really fascinating to think about like um at scale programming and simplicity and not building stuff that's overly complex. And, and like, like CoreOS guys are big on this too. It's, it's just fascinating. Um, like my perception of developing at-scale services has kind of flipped in this last year. And I'm still working through that. But that's the other thing too is really diving into Golang and really static functional languages and, and building simple interfaces. And not necessarily exposing everything. Hiding just enough of the functionality so you can change things without breaking anything. And just in, all kinds of interesting patterns. Um, so those are the two big ones for me.
1: Cool. Very, very cool. Well, listen, um, so we're kind of out of time for the thing. Uh, hopefully we can have you back on the show on a, on a more regular basis, not every nine months or whatever. We'll get you back <laughs> on, uh, we'll figure out how to do the time zones now that we're all across the country, but, uh, you're going out to DockerCon uh, this week, right? You're going to be out in Amsterdam.
0: Yeah, I'm flying out tomorrow. I'm totally stoked. It's going to be my first, uh, uh, Docker event and. uh, there's going to be. I'm expecting to see some cool demos and stuff, and um, maybe some, um, maybe some cool announcements from Docker. So I just, I'm just excited to be be there. So yeah, very cool. So uh, we're going to actually do some stuff, folks. We're trying to figure out some of the details. We're actually working with
1: the Docker team. We may do some stuff via video. We may do some some podcasts remotely and stuff. So we'll have some visibility into there. If you see Nick. Uh, buy him a beer. Uh, you know, shoot the shit with him. Talk, talk, uh, talk, talk tech with him and stuff. So, listen, dude. Um, thanks for being on. Um, as always, thanks for being on, um, folks. If you like the show, as always, uh, tell a friend. Uh, give us a review on iTunes. Um, you can always follow us at thecloudcastnet on Twitter and of course thecloudcast.net. Oh, and one last thing. Um, uh, you know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The Krispy Kreme challenge is coming along. Um, If you want to run with us, if you want to do it, it's open. The registration is now open. And if you want to make a donation, which would be awesome, that goes to the Children's Hospital, uh, the link is on the home page. You can click and give us a few bucks. Everything goes to the children. Uh, It's an awesome way to give. Um, And as you know, it's always fun to see us go uh, run and try and uh, cram donuts down our face. So uh, for Nick and for Aaron, he'll be back uh, next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, have a great weekend.
0: still listening? The show is over. Go back to your regular life. It's much more interesting than the podcast. I promise it is.